0: experience that'll be one day. Well, if you brought your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We want to look at um, 1 Corinthians 12 as we continue our sermon series on renewing our love commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll look at verses 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you be ignorant. You know that Jesus, or you know that you were Gentiles carried away under these dumb idols even as you were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. On Wednesday night, we've been going verse by verse through the book of 1 Corinthians, and this coming Wednesday night, study is going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 through, fo- uh, through the following verses. But today we kind of want to jump ahead in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as we continue our renew series and look at 1 Corinthians 12, one through 4, as we consider, I renew my commitment to use my spiritual gifts for the glory of God. Now, before we can make that commitment, we need to understand some things about spiritual gifts. So really today, this is kind of a part one of maybe part two, almost a part three sermons. And I want to look at just an introduction to spiritual gifts. Before we can renew our commitment to use our spiritual gifts, we have to have some understanding about spiritual gifts and the importance of spiritual gifts. And so we've already discovered that the church in Corinth was the most carnal church in all of the New Testament. There were problems with immorality, with divisions, with attitudes, and there were many abuses in the worship services, especially during the Lord's Supper service. And we're studying on Sunday night, about preparing to partake of the Lord's Supper. Come to the table, how we might partake of the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. It's a very serious thing to come to the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner. But the church at Corinth were doing just that. And because of that, many of them were sick. Paul said many of them were dead. Many of them slept. Now at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there in verse 1, he says, He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. Now, first of all, if you'll notice that word gifts is italicized, if you're looking in the King James Version or reading from the King James. It's interesting to note that in the original manuscript, the word gifts. Is not used. Another Greek word is used. The word is new, new, uh, new meacon, which simply means the spirituals. Spiritual gifts are only a part of a whole subject of spirituality. The Bible also speaks of spiritual, not only gifts but spiritual songs, spiritual meat, spiritual drink. And the point is, is as Corinthian believers, had all of these spiritual gifts, but were not spiritual Christians in their actions. You can be spiritual gifted to the brim and not be spiritual in your actions. So this morning, we want to look first at the foundation of spiritual gifts in verses 1 through 3. Now, Look, if you will, now concerning spiritual gifts, or concerning spiritual, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away under these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus cursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord by the but by the Holy Ghost. Now, since it's possible for a person to be spiritually gifted and not spiritual, Paul approaches the topic of spiritual gifts from a negative perspective and a a positive perspective. Look at verse 2. You know that you were Gentiles carried away under these dumb idols even as you were led. Before these Christians came to know Christ, they were deeply involved in these mystery religions and cults. Jerry Vine said it this way, I like this. He said, their worship was characterized by frenzy, by ecstasy, and all kinds of outburst. He went on to say, if we had visited a pagan service at Corinth, people would have been babbling and falling on the floor and other experienced, centered actions other experience centered actions like what john macarthur had to say share that with you he says this mystery religions originated the ideal of baptismal regeneration being born again merely through the rite of water baptism and the practice of mutilation and flogging or whipping to atone for sins or or gain spiritual favor. They also began the custom of pilgrimages, which many religions follow today, and the paying of penance for forgiveness of sins for oneself and for others. Several pagan practices were especially influential in the church at Corinth. Perhaps the most important and certainly the most obvious was the ecstasy considered to be the highest expression of religious experience because it seemed supernatural and because it was dramatic and often bizarre and the practice strongly appealed to the natural man. Because the Holy Spirit had performed many miraculous works in the apostolic age, some Corinthian Christians confused those true wonders with false wonders, counterfeited in ecstasies of paganism. Ecstasy. Esthesia, the Greek word, by the way, is not found in the Bible, was held to be a supernatural, sensuous communion with deity through frenzied, hypnotic chants and ceremonies. Worshipers experienced semi-consciousness, euphoric feelings of oneness with God or goddesses. Often the ceremony would be preceded by vigils and fastings and would even include drunkenness. Contemplation of sacred objects, whirling dances, frag, uh, fragrant incenses, chants and other chants and other such physical and psychological stimuli customarily were used to introduce the ecstasy, which would be in the form of an out-of-body out trance. A similar form of mystical experience was called euthanism, Euthymos which often accompanied by, was but was distinct from ecstasy. Euthanism involved manatic uh, formulas, divination, revel, uh, revelatory dreams and visions, of all which are found in many pagan religions and philosophies today. So you can see these people that were in the church at Corinth have a history of having all of these types of, religious practices prior to being saved, and now they brought these practices into the church. There the church at Corinth was kindly overjoyed with the experience in Christ, and they were seeking to worship him with the same kind of worship that they had practiced or participated in before they were saved. And so this passage has a lot to do with us today. You say, well, Brother Sammy, how's that? Because we live in an experience-centered generation. We're a generation of drug culture, a generation of rock music, looking for experiences, ecstasies. Millions of Americans today are just looking for a worship experience. They're seeking a hallucinatory out of the body, an ecstasy, a bizarre experience, and then they attribute that to the Holy Spirit. Same thing was happening at Corinth. Now, there is an experience that we enjoy when we worship God. I had a great experience in worship today. There's an experience in worship. There's a, there is an experience in serving Jesus. There is an experience in witnessing for Christ. However, an emotional experience should not be our primary goal during the worship of Christ. So Paul deals with a negative approach. Then he deals with a positive approach. On the positive side, Paul said that that spiritual controlled Christians, those that are spiritually controlled manifested by saying, Jesus Christ is Lord. They acknowledge the Lordship of Christ. Look at verse 3. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is a Lord but by the Holy Ghost. It gotten to the point to where they were even in their in their type of erratic worship, some were even calling Jesus accursed. Paul says that no spirituality controlled person blasphemes the name of Christ. If you're blaspheming the name of Christ, you're not controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. But the people have become so fleshly and so confused in worship. And so frenzied that they even allowed the Lord to be cursed within their congregation. Imagine that. They felt as long that as it took place in the church and it was presented by someone who claimed to be a Christian, and any teaching and practice then was accepted without any question. The content was ignored. And even that which was immoral and blasphemous was attributed to the Holy Spirit. Paul said in verse 3, to say that Jesus is Lord is easy. He says, no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. To say that Jesus is Lord If I were to ask you today to say with me, Jesus Christ is Lord, that would be easy. But Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of the Father, which is in heaven. So when the Holy Spirit of God is in control of our lives, We will acknowledge and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord from the depths of our heart. Jesus Christ is my Lord. Now, if we're honest with our confession, two things are going to happen. First of all, we will acknowledge biblical authority. Uh, Let's just pretend that Jesus... And the Word of God and the Holy Spirit are an equilateral triangle. Jesus is the base of that triangle, and then you have the Holy Spirit, and then you have the Word of God. And when the baseline, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, when the Lordship of Christ is lengthened in my life, so is the Word of God and so is the Holy Spirit. That means if Jesus Christ is Lord in our lives, We'll bring our experiences under biblical authority and the Holy Spirit's control. I was talking with a gentleman some years ago about some things that were taking place in a worship service. And and he said, do you believe that? And I said, I just don't believe that. And he says, why? And I says, well, I find it hard to find a book, chapter, and verse in the Bible that teaches that. I don't have a problem with book, chapter, and verse. But when there's no book, chapter, and verse, verse, we say that that's not biblical. And I don't want to practice anything not biblical. So the question is, is your experience biblical? Book, chapter, and verse. Verse. Or is it just an experience and you attribute to the Holy Spirit? So he, first of all, deals negatively, but he deals positively in that we acknowledge biblical authority when we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Secondly, when the Holy Spirit controls our life, Jesus Christ will become preeminent in our lives. Here's the point. Any religious movement that glorifies the Holy Spirit and not Jesus Christ is suspicious. Jesus said himself in John 15, 26, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will testify of me. In John 6, verse 13 through 14, Jesus says, he shall not speak of himself, but he shall glorify me. So there's a physical, there is a, there's a principal foundation in our thinking while considering spiritual gifts. To confess that Jesus Christ is our Lord is the most spiritual thing that you can do. Regardless of any spiritual gift mentioned. And so you have the foundation of spiritual gifts. Then Paul deals with this negative approach to spiritual gifts. And then he deals with a positive Approach the spiritual gift and confess in it Jesus Christ is Lord. And then let's look just a moment at at some variations of spiritual gifts. Look at verse 4. He says, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. Look at verse 5. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. Verse 6, and there are diversities of operations. But it's the same God which worketh all in all. So Paul there in verses 4 through 6, he uses diversities and he uses differences in those three verses, which means there's a variety. Paul says there's a variety of spiritual gifts, not just one spiritual gift. There's a variety of spiritual gifts. Now, when we think about a variety of spiritual gifts, first of all, there is the gift of the Spirit of God. Secondly, there is the gifts of the Spirit of God. And third, there is the graces of the Spirit of God. First, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, the gift of the Holy Spirit is the gift of the Holy Spirit himself. The moment that we receive Christ, we receive his Holy Spirit into our life. If we're a child of God, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 verse 38 says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Other passages verify that if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, then you're not a Christian. And so first we have diversities, we have differences, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit himself. Then we have the gifts of the Spirit. and We'll dwell more on the gifts of the Spirit next week. But the gifts of the Spirit, many gifts of the Spirit. Every child of God has a privilege of receiving at least one gift of the Holy Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit are given to us to enable us through the power of the Holy Spirit to serve the Lord and to serve His Church. So, if you have a if you're a Christian here today, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit Himself. You have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which at least one or perhaps others that allows you to serve Christ and serve the local church. And then you have the graces of the Holy Spirit, which are the fruit of the Holy Spirit, mentioned in Galatians 5, and 23. For the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and temperance and meekness. So the point is that when a child of God is controlled by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit gifts will operate in their lives and the person will be governed by the graces of the holy spirit and god will reproduce his character in that person's life so you have the gifts of the spirit the gift of the spirit himself the gifts of the spirit what we need to serve god and serve the faith family our local church and then the graces of the holy spirit which are the fruit of the spirit that brings us and develops our character to be like the Lord Jesus. Now, in closing, let me ask you just what is your goal in coming to worship this morning? I mean, is it just to have an emotional experience? It's kind of an out-of-body experience that you can attribute to the Holy Spirit some way? Or is the Holy Spirit so in control of your life that you're able to confess Jesus Christ is my Lord? It's the most spiritual thing you can do. And you're bringing all of your experiences under biblical authority and control of the Holy Spirit. Do you have the Holy Spirit living in you? Are you exercising the gifts of the Spirit and serving Christ and His church and Are you allowing God to maintain the fruit of the Spirit in your life and that he's bringing you into the image of himself? So when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, we need some background material first. Next week we'll be able to see some of the gifts and how we're to use those in our lives if we have those particular gifts. Let's bow our heads just for a moment. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we have to come into your presence and focus upon the gifts of the Spirit to bring us to a point, Lord, where we'll commit ourselves anew. We'll renew our commitment as Christians to use our spiritual gifts to serve you and to serve uh, the local body of believers. Today thank you Lord for reminding us father that the most important thing we can say is that Jesus Christ is Lord and we can see just in the history of those that were at the church of Corinth they had it all wrong by bringing all different types of practices into the church but father we pray now that we we understand that the most important thing that we can say is that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in doing that, we bring our thoughts, our actions, even our worship under biblical authority and control of the Holy Spirit. And Father, then we seek, Father, to have your Holy Spirit in control of our lives to the point that we can see the evidence of the Spirit working in our lives through the fruit of the Spirit the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the gentleness that you would bring forth out of our lives. Father, I pray for each person today and for those who have never trusted Jesus Christ who sat here empty of the Spirit of God in their life. Help us to realize that the same Spirit that raised you up from the grave will raise us up from the grave. And I pray for each person They've never trusted Christ. Today they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That Christ came and he died on the cross for their sins. He died. He was buried. He arose again on the third day. And one day he's coming again. And Your word teaches that throughout the ages. And it's true. And when all earth is gone, your word still will exist so help us prepare for that time that you return for your church. So I pray for those who need Christ today. I pray for Christians who need to recommit their lives today in rededication. And I pray, Lord, for others struggling with decisions. I pray for those who would unite with this faith family, Lord, to serve you in their giftedness here. But Father, I pray as the Spirit moves in their life that they would be obedient and they'd be willing to. And as the invitation is given, that people would turn loose of themselves and follow your Holy Spirit in making decisions today in their lives. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Terry's going to lead us in a hymn of invitation. Let's stand together.